Please remain standing as you're able. In the scripture in Luke, when an expert asked Jesus about how to um, inherit life or to live the life God wanted, uh, they came and together on the answer, which was the great commandment. And Jesus said to the young man, now do this and you will live. So it's appropriate that we often remind ourselves of the great commandment. And we do it this morning first in uh, Hebrew, because that's how Jesus would have known it. And then in English together, if you'll follow after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is in the 16th chapter of Luke. In Lent, we're looking at different things that happened on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And this part of the journey, he's having some conflict with the Pharisees over biblical interpretation. And in this particular conflict, Jesus has told the story and said, you, you can't serve both God and money. And we're told that the Pharisees actually sneered at Jesus. They mocked him, says another version. So uh, Jesus then tells them this story beginning in verse 19 of chapter 16. There was a rich man who uh, dressed in purple and wore fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his uh, uh, outside his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, a poor man who had sores and who would have longed to eat the food that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. One day, Lazarus died and was carried off by angels to be at Abraham's side. And the rich man died as well and was buried. But while in Hades, in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham and then nearby him, Lazarus. And he said, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in, uh, in water and come and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your life you received many good things and Lazarus received bad things. And now he is being comforted and you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been placed between you and us, which no one can cross, nor can they cross from you to us. Uh Uh-oh. He answered, Father Abraham, have mercy. I send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers and sisters, and warn them so that they might not come to this torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them pay attention to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A friend of mine was telling about a Christian uh, comedian, and in his routine, he was uh, uh, making fun of of us fellow Christians because we placed so much stock in the story of a four-year-old who died and went to heaven and came back and and told us about it. And then another story about an eight-year-old who died and went to heaven and now came back to tell about us. And he said, you know, it's amazing that we would trust someone who probably can't find a lost toy or even to remember to get their lunchbox off the bus 
to tell us about things like this. But I want to tell you this morning that you'd be better off trusting a four-year-old and an eight-year-old with their descriptions of the afterlife than counting on this parable from Jesus this morning to tell you about the afterlife. Because quite frankly, this is a parable. In other words, it is a story that is told to illustrate a point or to illustrate a truth. And stories in the ancient world about uh, two people who, uh, who die and go to different uh, results and, and oftentimes their situations are reversed uh, were common. They, uh, many scholars believe they go back to Egypt. There was a man named Setme who dies and, and finds in the afterlife that his situation is reversed with somebody else. Uh, Plato, in Plato's Republic, talked about a guy named Ur, E-R, and he was dead 12 days and then was brought back to life by the gods in order to come and, and tell people what that was like so they might clean up their act here on earth. And then the Jews had stories like this as well. Uh, perhaps the most famous Jewish story was about two brothers, Yannis and Yambrus. And one of them died and ended up going into torment. And so he asked for permission to cross the chasm and go back on the other side and warn his brother so he wouldn't keep living that same kind of life and have that same kind of result. And, and so in the story, he's allowed to do that. And then the rabbis who have literally hundreds and hundreds of parables had seven parables that basically have the same plot. Two people who uh, are in opposite situations, uh, counter, um, encountering each other in life, die and, and find their situation reversed. One of them was about a rich merchant and the other about a poor school teacher. I chuckled to myself since my mother was a teacher that apparently teachers have been underpaid now for centuries. Uh, and then there's an, another one about a couple. And one of the couple is haughty and arrogant and abusive. And the spouse is rather servile. And yet when they die, they go to uh, different places. And so these were very common stories. And they're not told by Jesus or anybody else to say, this is what it's like when you die. You can look in and see what people on the other side are doing. It's rather to make a point about life. Well, what is the point about life that Jesus wants to make in the parable this morning? Well, I think a couple of things are important. First, we need to understand when Jesus told this story. That might help us. Jesus tells a story in Luke 16, and he has several debates with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not bad people, friends. They are very devout religious people. It's just often their biblical interpretation uh, is different than Jesus. They both take the Bible literally word for word. But they come for different conclusions. And so Jesus had just told them uh, that you can't serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees believe that if you're wealthy, it's a sign of God's blessing. And so we're told in verse 14 that they mocked Jesus. Another version says they sneered at him. And so Jesus goes on now to tell them this other story. So that's the setting. And it might help if we looked at the two main characters in the story. It won't take long to look at them. One is the rich man. We know he's rich because Jesus said a rich man. But we also know because of what he wore. He wore purple. Now, back in the day, purple was very rare and it was very expensive because it was hard to find the snails. They were very rare that would give you what you needed for the purple dye. So it tended to be the color of royalty 
and the very, very wealthy. So he dresses in purple, fine linen that others can't afford. And my version that I shared with you said he lived luxuriously, lived in luxury every day. Another reading of the Greek was basically indicates he banqueted every day. So think about this. You know how in our families we might have a really big banquet, a, a really sumptuous meal at Christmas or Thanksgiving, maybe our anniversary or birthday. This guy ate like that every day. And then food, we're told, fell from his table. Now, it's not because he's a messy eater. One of the things the rich did in this part of the ancient world is when they had food on their face, they would take bread and wipe their face with the bread. And then they didn't eat the bread. They just disposed of it. They were that wealthy. They could just throw the edible napkin away. So we know he's rich. Now, it's not that he's immoral. It didn't say that he uh, was involved in a Ponzi scheme like Bernie Madoff and ripped off all these people and got rich. Nor is he, did he have insider trading? Did he cheat somebody on Wall Street? Nothing is talked about the ethics of how he got rich. In fact, the assumption is if he got rich, it's because God probably blessed him. Uh, and there was a theology which the Pharisees shared, Deuteronomy 28, 3 and 4, that says basically, you know, God's going to bless you and take care of you and make you have things in abundance if you obey God's command. So the reasoning was, you're rich, you must be doing what God says. It was what we might call a, a theology of prosperity and blessing, if God will bless you because God favors you. And, and even to this day, there's a whole lot of theology like that, and that's what the Pharisees would have believed. So it's not that the man was bad. In fact, the sense is he probably was a pretty good person. Well, then there's one other character, and this is a beggar, a poor man. His name is Lazarus. It's interesting because that's the only name in the parable, any of Jesus' parables, the only time he gives anyone a name, is this guy, Lazarus. Now, is he somehow related to the Lazarus we meet in the Gospel of John? That would be hard to say. Probably not. Lazarus is short for Eleazar, kind of like Chuck is short for Charles. Uh, Jimmy is short for James. Uh, and so a lot of people in Israel are named Eleazar because it means God, God helps us. And so probably a common name. Not likely. We don't know. But he's a beggar. We know he's poor. We know he has to be laid at the gate of, of, uh, of the rich man, which probably means he is uh, lame in some way and cannot work for a living. And all he can do is beg. And he's, got, he's hungry and he has these sores and he'd love to have some of the food that's been thrown off the table. That's what we know about him. Not that he's particularly righteous, greatly moral. We're not told about his character in any way, shape, or form. But we do know this. That just as there were some biblical passages that indicated if you were rich, it's because God had blessed you and uh, your wealth was a sign of God's blessing and probably that you were keeping the commandments. There were also even more verses that said, if you happen to be wealthy, if you happen to have, you need to share with those who don't have. So in the same book of Deuteronomy in chapter 15, uh, we're commanded to take care of the poor and take care of the needy. In Leviticus 19, it says, when you have your uh, crops, which in Deuteronomy 28 were promised in abundance if you obeyed God, but when you harvested them, you were to leave the edges for the poor so they could share in your harvest. And when you, and when you harvested them, you weren't allowed to go back for a second gleaning to pick up what you missed. That, too, also belonged to the poor. And in the prophets uh, and in the Torah, uh, in most every book of those books, 
there's some comment about taking care of the poor. So we know that that is a very important biblical principle as well. And it seems to me what Jesus is pointing out is regardless of how a person got rich, if they're rich, they're blessed in order to be a blessing and they need to share some of what they have with those who don't have. Um, this morning in the bulletin, you may have read uh, the story about Albert Schweitzer. He, he was, uh, had a doctorate in theology and uh, was a tenured a faculty member in theology, was a very gifted musician and also a medical doctor. But one day he heard a sermon on chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus and made the decision to leave and go to Africa. And this was his quote about it. He said this, he said, we are the rich man and out in the colonies, out in Africa, uh, behind the gate lies the poor, wretched Lazarus. And so that motivated him to give up what he had and to go as a medical missionary and serve those who are in need. And I think that's probably a biblical interpretation. He was blessed, but he used what he had also and shared uh, with others. Frederick Buechner said something, um, I think, that follows the same sort of uh, philosophy. Frederick Buechner, Christian, both novelist and nonfiction writer, uh, years ago when he got his first book contract, he's, he's at the uh, top of a high rise in New York City, uh, signing the contract, you know, getting the first installment of the money, and he's very excited uh, as a young writer as he walks out of that office, check in hand. But as he walks out toward the elevator, he notices a a man, and he recognizes the man about his, it's his age. They went to college together. And when they were in college, they had the same dreams of, of success in different fields, but of success and of doing well in the world. And at this point, the man, whatever else he was doing, had been relegated to cleaning the floors of that building. And suddenly, Beekner said, the check didn't seem as sweet. He said, I began to get an inkling that there's really no joy for anybody until there is joy for everybody. I heard this past week an African proverb that goes something like this. We will never be whole until our neighbor is whole. There's some sense that ties our fate in as the haves in the world with those who have not. And I think that's probably um, the biblical interpretation that Jesus would have taken on this passage and the Pharisees might not have, uh, at least they don't seem to be taking that interpretation. But let me also point out two other things in the parable. One, there's this gate. There's this gate uh, that, uh, that Lazarus is by. He's been placed there every day. And it seems that the rich man or one of his servants could have easily gone and opened the gate and, and cared for Lazarus in some way. But they don't. And then we're told later there's a chasm, and there's no opening the chasm. There's no crossing over the chasm. And it seems to me in this part of the story what Jesus is saying is you have today, you have now, you have this opportunity with your blessings to help those who are not blessed. In the same way, you have this moment. You have a gate. But one day that gate becomes a chasm. I think in the afterlife, I think many things will continue. I'm not one that believes that we float around on clouds and, and learn to play the harp. 
uh, I think we continue to worship God and, and get to know God. We get to know one another. We get to grow in our faith. I think we exercise talents, and I think we have opportunities, but probably the one opportunity we won't have from that afterlife will be to help those who are poor, who are on the other side of that chasm. The time is now, and the place is probably here. And you might wonder for a moment why God would do it that way. Why wouldn't God just bless everyone equally? Why wouldn't God just uh, put mailbox money for people or rain down stuff from heaven? For whatever reason, God intends to us who have to be a part of the plan to help care for the have-nots. In God's economy, that's how it works out. Um, when we were in Burundi, we learned that one of the most important things uh, that, that people um, need and want and what they'll buy often before food is shoes. So I'm reminded of the story of a missionary in another African country who uh, asked a little boy there who's poor and without shoes. He says, the fact that you don't have shoes, did that, does that make you doubt the love of God? And the little boy answered the missionary and said, no. He said, I believe God has told people to give us shoes. They just haven't heard God yet. That's probably how it works. It's a story about the town of Safat. If you've ever been to Israel, you may have been to Safat. It's in the, the northern part of Israel. It's sort of a, an artist uh, colony. Um, in this day, lots of things uh, available for purchase there. Uh, but there's the story of the synagogue in Safat that the richest man in town goes to the synagogue. But so does the poorest man in town. And the richest man in town, as he often does when the scripture's read and the message delivered, he falls asleep. None of y'all do that. But, but he does. But in, while he's asleep, he hears the scripture being read, but he thinks it's God's voice. Is he doesn't realize uh, that he's asleep and he thinks he's having a vision. And the, and the, and the rabbi's reading the scripture about bringing 12 loaves of bread to the altar of the Lord. So as he comes to, the rich man is excited about this vision and praises God and leaves the synagogue in great excitement. Thank you, God, for finally showing me what to do. And so he goes home and buys uh, uh, the needed flour and everything that he needs. And he bakes 12 loaves of bread and takes them up to the synagogue and puts them on the table of the Lord. Well, it just so happens the poorest man in town also goes to the synagogue and he's the janitor. And he's hungry and he's praying. He said, God, you know, I'm hungry. And suddenly he smells the bread, 12 fresh baked loaves of bread. So he figures God has provided for him. So he takes the bread home. And then the rich man comes back the next uh, next week, finds the bread is gone and he is thrilled. He's like, God, you ate the bread. This is marvelous. You must have been telling me to do this. It's a miracle. And so he goes home and bakes Another uh, 12 loaves brings them back up. Meanwhile, the poor man is thanking God for that, but saying, you know, God, there were 12 loaves of bread. We ate seven. We had to sell four and we gave one to charity. And well, we're hungry again this week and smells the bread. And there it is. And takes the 12. This goes on for week after week until one time the rich man with the baked bread and the poor man show up at the same time. And they realized that what they thought was a miracle, God making bread magically appear uh, for the poor man uh, and for the rich man, God magically eating the bread he's brought, is not that miracle at all. And they're really disappointed. 
until the rabbi who's been watching this for weeks comes and explains to them that this really is a miracle. And that any time those who have share and those who don't get to receive, it is a miracle with God and a miracle of God. And I think in many ways, God is looking for the same sorts of miracles to continue today. As we continue the conversation, I invite you to think for just a minute. I invite you to think about someone who might be at your gate that you could help. And and I know helping is something you do prayerfully and with, with discernment because there are some people you're not helping, you're enabling. But there are others like Lazarus brought to the gate in their circumstances. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe they are hungry. Maybe they need encouragement. Maybe they need shoes. I invite you to take a minute and and ask God, is there someone at your gate? 